0: And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs. Alleluia.
1: You're listening to Talks from the Apostolic Johnite Church. Alleluia. Alleluia.
0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is me again, Monsignor Ross, back talking to you on our first afternoon Session of Conclave on Monday, and we are talking about divination and divine guidance. And as I often do, I am going to start this particular talk with a prayer. It's actually a psalm. And I didn't note which psalm it was, so we're just going to have to pretend that we know. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. O you, I wait on all the day. Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. He therefore teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my pain. Forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem, o re- redeem Israel, O God, out of all their troubles. So what does that have to do with divination? Show me your paths, O Lord. Teach me your ways. That's where I was going with that. I really think that divination can be a divine practice in and of itself. If you are interested in trying to divine the ways of God, trying to put something together so it makes sense, or just enjoy using the tools and uh, um, accoutrements that are available in order to do divination of all sorts. So, first, I'd like to talk, though, because divination has kind of a bad reputation in the Bible. Uh, In Leviticus, it says, you shall not eat anything with the blood, nor practice divination or soothsaying. So, trying to tell the future, supposedly very verboten. In various places in the Old Testament, it talks about not speaking with the dead in order to find out the future. In Deuteronomy, in Kings, in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, all those places talk about Do not mess with mediums and spirits of the dead. Ezekiel warns against false visions and lying divinations. So apparently if you go to the wrong prophets or the wrong priests, you will end up with the wrong sort of information. Uh, Dream interpretation has a mixed um, reputation because we know that Joseph... Was able to save his family through the use of his divination and to save all of Egypt. But at the same time, there's a lot of dream interpretation that happens from the other priests of the time, Baalish priests, and they tend to end up getting the bad rap of being false dream interpretators. <clears throat> Acts, uh, the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament, talks about a young girl who follows Paul and Silas through the streets, doing divinations and soothsayings for them. But she's possessed. So there's a little difference there. It's not just a uh, um, a a fortune-telling that's going on. It's an actual possession. So there are also biblical references that are pro-divination. The casting of lots to determine the will of God is something that is very well regarded throughout all of the Bible and I'm going to read some of those because they're kind of interesting. We have in Proverbs 1818 uh, that's not what I'm seeing. and now I've lost my page.. De-de-de-de. but it is Proverbs 18:18. 18, 18. There it is. Casting the lot settles disputes and keeps strong opponents apart. So if you have reached an impasse, the casting of a lot and letting God decide the outcome of the dispute apparently has a good reputation. <clears throat> Pardon me. In Proverbs 16:33, he says, "The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord." So the casting of lots is ordained by the divine, by uh, God, in order to be able to make that decision. Uh, In the New Testament, we have in Luke 1.9, Zechariah was serving as the priest before God. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. No doubt this has to do with the whole head exploding thing that the occasionally would happen to the priests, and you didn't necessarily want to win that lottery, but you definitely, they definitely used lots to determine who was going to do what. In Chronicles, there is a huge, long description of the division of um, the land, it looks like. A large number of leaders were followed among Elazar's descendants. So these are the leaders of Israel. And they chose them by lot. Uh, they divided them impartially by drawing lots, for there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of God among the descendants of both Elazar and Ithamar. And so they drew lots, and it actually records who won which lottery and what their appointed order for ministry was. So that is definitely a good example of this drawing of lots. Esther talks about it. In 3.7, she says, uh, in the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, they cast the pure, that is Lot, in the presence of Haman to select a day and a month. And the Lot fell on the twelfth month in the month of Adar. I don't know what they were looking for it for. Oh, they were looking for a way to destroy Mordecai's people, the Jews. And so they chose it by lots. That was the Persians apparently doing that. Probably not an approved use then. And, of course, the drawing of lots that seems to resonate most with Christians is the division of the cloaks and the the items of Jesus at the crucifixion. When they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So just in these few examples, we've had at least three different cultures that use the casting of lots to determine how things are supposed to turn out. Uh, another instance in the Bible of the use of divination was the astrologers from the East at the Nativity. They, of course, followed the star and followed the omens and the signs in order to find the new king and to deliver their gifts. So those seem to be positive examples in the Bible of the use of lots and casting. you
1: uh, are using the phrase, casting lots, is that to a specific divination, or does that mean...
0: From everything I've seen, the casting of lots refers to any form of random divination. So it's rolling a dice, it's um, pulling a card, it's flipping a coin, and I'm actually getting to that. But yes, astrology is a different form of divination and one that has less support for it than a sortilage method, Uh, which which is kind of what I'm getting to. Uh, In Hebrew, if you're looking at it, and I've asked for pronunciation. The word is kesem or keshem. And it relates to all forms of magic and witchcraft and necromancy and soothsaying. So that word is very broad. When, they're talking, when we are calling it divination in English, they're talking about everything when they're, prohib- when they're putting a prohibition against it.
2: It's shorthand for party
0: tenant. Pretty much. So there's a lot of different practices that are involved in that little word. Um, Generally, it is in reference to false diviners, prophets, and foreign priests. So false diviners, false prophets, and foreign priests. That's when they're using that word and its negative connotation. In Acts, which is written in Greek, they talk about the spirit of Python. And Python, of course, was one of the famous oracles in Greece and the girl was possessed by the spirit of Python, and that's what they cast out of her so that she could no longer do fortune-telling, apparently to the chagrin of her owners, who had just lost their livelihood and were very upset with Paul and Silas. It's a good episode if you want to take and read it. So all of this is, to a degree, a calling for guidance. And it seems as though the first attempt is always to try and figure it out through what has already been written down and what's already been done. And the second attempt is through negotiation. And if you can no longer figure anything out through either of those methods, then you resort to the casting of lots and ask for God to decide. That seems to be the biblical method. They never go to the casting of lots as a first resort. It's always sort of the last resort in order to help make a decision for which The human realm doesn't provide enough information. And I enjoy that kind of look, that kind of perspective, because I think that divination should be mostly useful to help you bust your way out of a logjam it should be a practice that you use when you have tried everything else and you've come to a standstill or you've tried to use different methods of things and you've run out of ways to look at it differently. And so the use of a random noise generator allows you to be able to find a different path, maybe something you hadn't considered, which may or may not provide the solution, but it gets you thinking along a different path. And from a purely mental perspective, State allows you to think about something that you hadn't thought about before. Now, at the best level, it's actually guidance from God who is going to help you down your path. But whether or not we can actually say that depends a lot on the outcome and the, uh, whether it coincides with sorts of traditional ideas. Sometimes divination will tell you really stupid stuff and you just have to kind of ignore it and realize that that's not necessarily the way that things need to be handled. So I never think of divination as a dictate, and I never think of divination as a um, true path forward or an inevitability. If I'm getting a fortune telling from somebody, there's nothing inevitable about what's happening in it. It's simply a different way to think about whatever situation you're talking about. So to get back to... Clark's question, the casting of lots is any way of randomly determining an outcome. So cards, dice, coin flip, um, the marking of lines in the dirt while you're in a trance state, the um, position of entrails, the number of birds in a flight, any of that kind of stuff seems to come into sort of a random choosing. But the... uh, I shouldn't say that. that. They all seem to be forms of divination which look at the randomness of um, events, but the casting of lots has a deliberateness to it and it has a random generation portion of it. So you have a pack of shuffled cards, you have a coin flip, you have these sorts of things. All of these things can be manipulated. You can have loaded dice, you can do card choosing, you can have a weighted coin or a two-headed coin, something along those lines. But, if you're doing these things, honestly, you have an actual random generation. So, they call this clearomancy, or sh- or sortilege. Those are two words for the same thing. And, like I said, one of the most famous examples is simply a coin flip. It's binary. It helps with a yes-no question. Should I do this or that? It is the simplest form of sortilage, and it is also the one that I think is the most useful when you have a yes-no decision. Because you can flip the coin and if you don't like the answer, you can take the answer you like. But if you're stuck in sort of an analysis paralysis where you can't decide between two options, this will at least tell you which option you want because you'll either be elated that it picked the choice that you wanted or you'll be disappointed that you didn't get the choice that you actually want. That often is enough to knock you free of your analysis paralysis and you can either go and do the thing that you want to do or you can do the thing that's right even if you don't want to do it. Nothing about a coin flip would dictate to you what you need to do. However, it can help you get through that little bit of decision making. A lot of people don't realize that decisions take energy and there's only so much energy in the day. And the more decisions you have to make in a day, the more energy it takes. And that's why you can be very exhausted after you've gone shopping, or you've gone and done the picking out of which books you're going to read from Powell's, or you've done this or that, or people are asking you questions. And you're not actually having to do a whole lot with them, but they're like, do you like the red or the green? That's a decision. You may not care, and a coin flip would be perfect.
2: I get a
0: lot of questions. Astrogallomancy is the very, very long name for the rolling of dice. A very simple method of using dice is to draw a circle on a piece of paper and roll your three dice in the paper. If you if a dice rolls outside of the circle, it has meaning, as opposed to the dice that end up in the circle. If you have one die outside, you have s- difficulties ahead. If you have two dice outside, you have arguments and quarrels. If you have three dice outside, it's a sign of luck and success, but there's no other reading that's involved with it. And then, depending on the numerical value, there are other meanings that could be associated with it. So you could have no answers available, ask for another day on a zero, one, or 2, If you have a three, you get a change in circumstance. A four will be unpleasant arguments. Five, unexpected surprises or information. Six will be a loss of some kind. Seven, potential hardships, especially with finances. Eight, you should not act hastily. Nine, a possible union in love or in business. At 10, you end up with new beginnings, like a birth or a new job or a promotion. Uh 11 is a potential of loss of a person, so death or a short-term illness or a person who has walked away, or possibly the return of a person who has been estranged to you. Uh, 12 is an important communication will arrive soon. 13 is a continuation on your current path. 14, a friend or relative will offer their assistance. 15 proceed with caution. 16 a short trip will provide relief. 17, a change of perspective or an adjustment to plans may be needed. And with 18, you get luck, success, blessings, and attainment. All of that sounds absolutely wonderful, and it's completely arbitrary. There's no reason that you couldn't assign different meanings to the numbers. However, again, if you're struggling with something, it can help you find your way out. It could obfuscate things more. It could make things more confused. However, if you're seeking an answer, it will give you an answer, and I think sometimes that's as important as what the answer is, just having an answer. Geomancy is a form of divination which technically starts as, technically the word should mean a whole bunch of earth magic. And geomancy itself only has the slightest connection, as a divinatory practice, geomancy only has the slightest connection to earth magic in that you have a bunch of sand and you have a stick and you get into a trance state and you poke the sand a random number of times. And when you're done poking, you count it up and if it's an odd number, you put one pip and if it's an even number, you put two pips and you do this 16 times. That said... Once you do that, you have a program. You have a set of figures that you can manipulate. And the process of geomancy as a divination involves the manipulation of these symbols that you generate randomly. Once you have these first set called the mothers, you will take and add them up across, which will get you another set. And then you'll add the second line across, and that'll get you another set. Add the third line across. That'll get you third, bottom, fourth. You now have eight figures. Then you can take and start adding the figures together. So you add the lines together, and if you get an odd number, you add the dots together, and if you get an odd number, you put one dot. If you get an even number, you put two dots. And that will give you one, two, three, four, four three, four. Four more figures. Then you take those and you add them together, you get two more, and you add them together, you get one more, and you end up with 15 figures that all have different meanings depending on where they put you. Where you put them, not where they put you. This is a binary recursive algorithm method of doing divination. And it's very interesting as a form of sortilage simply because of the fact that you can have the same figure multiple times. In tarot, in coin flips, in rolling of dice, you always end up with either one figure or one figure appearing once in a reading. In geomancy, that is not the case. In geomancy, you can have the same figure appear in different places and thus manipulate the meanings of those figures depending on their placement upon the chart. So it can be a fantastically complicated method of divination. You also can end up with astrological correspondences because you can take and take these 15 symbols and put them around the zodiac, the first 12 around the zodiac, and then the final three have specialized meaning within a zodiacal chart. And how they correspond with your natal chart can make things that much more complicated. It's fascinating, and it uses a lot of medieval astrology and has some of that baggage involved with medieval astrology in order to get to the meaning of it. So as people who come from a more modern context, you sometimes have to interpret what they're saying based on what the ancients have said of these things. But, of course, in something like this, the number four is very, very important. You always have four, one, or two in order to figure four sets of one or two. So you'll have a dot, two dots, two dots, one dot. That forms a figure because having an individual dot or two dots by itself doesn't necessarily carry a lot of meaning, but the whole figure by itself does. And I'm going to stop there for a minute and ask for questions. Because I've gone through a lot really fast.
2: I was just going to mention for those who are interested in things like geomancy, but may be adverse to things that look like math, <laughs> which you know, are people that look like me. Uh, uh, I mean, now they've got apps and programs where you can plug in your basic. You, can, you, you don't even have to do the posting <coughs> math. You can use DICE, for example, and you can generate those initial figures plug them in, and based on that, it'll calculate down the whole, it'll lay out the entire reading from
0: start to finish. Yes, any form of generating an odd or an even result will get you into geomancy, like a coin flip. Heads is one, tails is two. Flip, and away you go. You can just do that 16 times, and you end up with geomantic figures. And then you can do your math. And yes, there are definitely programs that help you to do that and make it a lot easier if math is not your thing. That said, there is definitely a certain satisfaction to the practice of actually going through and making the pips and doing the additions all the way through and double-checking yourself and flipping through the book and looking up the glyphs and all this kind of stuff. I know our modern technology makes things very fast and easy, and I am a big proponent of it because I am a computer programmer. But there is also a certain... Meditative quality to being able to do it by hand. So I don't want to discount that. The, the,
1: the systems that I'm familiar with Africa are based on memory work. Right. You have to be able
0: to memorize hundreds or thousands of possible answers. Right. And you know, if you're a fortune teller sitting in a, a storefront, you also have to be able to do that. You can't be looking at things up in your book. So you need to be able to know what your meanings are as you're telling it to your client or your customer. Because that's one of the things that lots of people do with fortune telling is they have clients and customers and they kind of act as a sort of therapy to help them get through their decisions. Yes?
3: And when we were doing uh, education ministry, and we were going over this, these parts in the Old Testament, uh was like a lot casting as opposed to the other. And being that there is such uh, a possibility for abuse when a, an advisor would go to a leader and be able to... Well, you know, this is what we think. You know, I have this dream, I'm going to advise you, and then they could be easily manipulated to, you know, change the course of history by people that proclaim to be able to, you know, see the future and decide what to do. Mm -hmm. Whereas with law casting, because you can't, I mean, you can manipulate it, but it's much more just like a yes or no or this is how it goes. Right. So those were allowed, and the reason that it was banned wasn't so much because it was a horrible thing, it was basically to help stop the perhaps unjust influences of, you know, because some people relied so
0: heavily on that sort of thing at the time. And that makes a lot of sense, too, because a lot of these uh, fortune-telling methods involve a lot of personal judgment on the part of the reader. So that is definitely one of the things that I could see wanting to get away from if you're in some kind of a leadership capacity.
4: Ben. Ben. What this points out for me with a new freshness is how different the tarot is in that it certainly has a mathematical base mm-hmm. two or three different ways. Yeah. But then it also confronts you with image. Right. It's quite conceivable that a tarot reader can make a career with very little math but a strong sensitivity to the image.
0: Yes. Yep, and tarot is coming up next, so... I just wanted to stop here for a little bit while we're talking more about the, the less complicated but still very random methods of casting lots. And by calling geomancy less, calc- less complicated, I am only saying because less has been written about it. Um, I do think that you can make a very, very complicated and thorough reading with geomancy if you start looking into all the correspondences that are possible with it. Because you have four numbers in your figure, you can add elemental attributions to them, and they do. And so you can start doing, you know, elemental attributions downward and across so that your next set also has elemental attributions. And it causes all kinds of complication and wonderment. Can
5: you recommend a specific book with the best diagrams and the best charts for the geometric?
0: I wish I could. Um, there are several very good ones by John Michael Greer. I enjoy his his books on that topic, and I think it pulls it into a modern age in a very nice way while still keeping the medieval character of the great works of the age. Um, I believe I have another book. Uh, I don't have another book listed. Um, but I can certainly get you some and we can put them in the YouTube video afterwards, down in the link section. I don't want to promote anyone in particular. I do know John Michael Greer's stuff is good because I've read it. I've also read some older stuff and I have links for it. We can put it out there as well. Any other questions? Okay. Let's talk about Tarot. Tarot can get fantastically complicated because it has, as Ben was talking about, an array of symbols which is huge and wonderful. I'm just going to pass. Like tarot of ceremonial magic. Hmm?
2: Tarot ceremonial magic.
0: That's this one. The Tarot of ceremonial magic has a whole bunch of correspondences on it that talks about Kabbalah. It talks about uh, all kinds of other things. There are pictorial graphs, there are Hebrew letters, there are spirits associated with each of the cards. It's just a fantastic tarot deck. And it shows the level of complexity that you can bring into the study of tarot. I want to say that there are 22 major arcana and 56 of the suits which includes the face cards of king, queen, prince, princess, or king, queen, page, knight, king, queen, knight, page, depending on the deck that you're using. Tarot is not necessarily an ancient method of doing fortune telling. It was originally a card game, as far as they can tell. And it looks like it's from probably about the 14th century in the Italian Renaissance. Uh, Like many other forms of sortilage, it just suddenly started to become a method of fortune-telling. It does have wonderful images, and those images over time have sort of solidified and then been reimagined, depending on who's doing the deck. Uh, In my earlier talk, we saw the one that was done with all the chickens. So you have chickens in the various poses of these archetypal pictures. And this is not a lecture on tarot as a gateway to the soul or as a mystical map or as a gigantic book of divine revelation. It's a book about it as a fortune-telling method. The meanings of the cards, as far as fortune-telling goes, are pretty in-depth and pretty standard at this point. The major arcana have big life-changing moments, and the, minor, the uh, minor arcana have smaller motions and places of stasis, depending on if it's an odd number or an even number. And you will end up with um, certain elemental attributions which will tell whether you're dealing with your emotions or a mental state or a physical state or a money question or a love question, an emotional question. Um, water tends to be the emotional. Earth for the physical, fire for an issue of passion or action, and air for an issue of a mental sort of um, effect. Doing a reading can be as simple as drawing a single card, or it can involve a very complicated spread in which the entire deck is put out in a certain pattern, and the placement of the card determines what the meaning of the card is in relation to the placement of the other cards of the deck. I have seen that done a couple of times. It's pretty impressive. It's almost like a mandala of tarot cards. It doesn't always have to be complicated. Uh, It can be a very simple reading. You can ask it a question and get a very simple answer with a single draw or with a three-card draw. Um, The placement of the cards during a reading is often just as important as the card which is drawn because the placement will have certain meanings depending on the reading That you're actually involved in. It is fantastically complicated and I think it is a very complicated version of the pulling of lots to try and find the nature of a situation and to try and give you some insight into your own thoughts about whatever your situation is and give you new avenues to explore inside that milieu. I have used them for meditation as well as sort of a gateway to try and see if whatever I'm meditating on in the major arcana is something that I need to experience or bust loose. It works. It's definitely a gateway, but I have also meditated on icons and pictures for magazines, and both of these have worked just as well. So I don't necessarily think that there's a special power that way. You certainly can use it that way and have a wonderful... Archetypal experience imagining that path. Um, but tarot again has the drawback that geomancy does not, in that each symbol can only appear once. So if you have chaos in your past and chaos in your future and you know this, you're not going to necessarily see it. You're not going to see the tower in two places in your reading, unless you put more than one deck together. That could be possible. You could do it Vegas style and have, like, four decks in a shoe and pull things out. I
2: mean, uh, you know, you... you you could have that chaos or whatever appear, but I mean it's going to be a slight in a slightly different form. Does that I mean the chaos in your future isn't? It is impossible for it to be exactly identical to the chaos in your past because even if nothing else changes, you change. Well, right. So, that's you know. So you could, in theory, there could be a reverse card in there somewhere, or right. any number of combinations that's going to you know indicate in an
4: elegant way that you might be you know screwed.
0: Well, history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. Yeah.
4: Well, I came up with a different theory about that actually when I first began with Tarot. It is this briefly put? And that is, if you break small cards down into the Arcana Major, which you always can, the so small cards always a planet in a sign. Right. And they have an element as well. Mm-hmm. You can always break any one of the small cards down into two or three of the Arcana Major.
0: Right, because all of the arcana major have those associations with an element or a planet or a sign. Right, and right of Mars at a tower. Right. You can
4: find where the tower is trying to appear in more than one place in a
0: That's definitely true, and I definitely think that is a, a, um, a good way to look at it and a good way to read it, and an experienced reader would definitely draw those sorts of parallels. That said, you cannot get the exact same thing no matter what. You can get the same influence, you can get the same idea, but you cannot get the exact same, which you do occasionally do in life. Yes, it won't, you can exactly have the same repeating occurrence just at different points in time. And you can be a different person when that occurrence happens. But I like geomancy for that reason, that things can repeat and you can see where those influences recur in different points in the chart. Anything else with tarot? I am not a tarot expert. Disclaimer. I have read a lot about it. I have played with it. I have worked with it. But I don't use tarot as a daily practice, just so we know. As opposed to sortilage or clearomancy, you have the idea of astrology. And astrology is more or less a very predictable form of divination. Because the planets follow certain paths, you can generally predict where they're going to be. And because of that, you can tell how they're going to interact at some point. And there are rules based on how this all works, based on observation and people's theories and all kinds of study and conjecture and prayer and inspiration that Comes together to form a great and beautiful mess over at least three different cultures. Possibly many, many, many more that have their own take on how the movements of the planets affect the people on Earth. And I say it's more or less predictable because every now and then something in the sky will explode and cause a huge upset. And every now and then there will be this object that comes out of nowhere and shines really brightly in the sky and then disappears. And then 76 years later, it comes back, or 100 years later, or 300 years later. So more or less predictable. Because astrology is not the casting of lots, it's a little more suspect in the Bible than doing something randomly. Because it involves a lot of interpretation. You have to be a wise person who has studied astrology in order to use astrology. I should say, you should be a person who has studied a lot of astrology in order to make predictions with astrology. You don't have to be. You don't have to you can certainly say you're an astrologer and just wing it. But If you're trying to be an astrologer, you should study these things. And it takes a lot of learning and, therefore, is not open to everyone necessarily and, therefore, is subject to manipulation and interpretation. But it's also not witchcraft. You're not actually doing any kind of ritual. You're just observing what God has put forth in the heavens. So it's not forbidden, just suspect, There are a lot of references to astrology starting with the very beginning. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light to the earth. And it was so. So the celestial objects in the sky are meant to be signs to humankind but I think they're meant to be more like traffic signs. Hey, we're moving from winter into spring. We're moving from spring into fall rather than reflections on human events. But people have interpreted it in that way. There are a lot of of other biblical quotes that deal with the stars and the heavens and the signs. Um, Psalm 19 has one that I really like. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day after day utters his speech and night after night shows his knowledge. There is no tongue or language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And in the heavens, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So astrology has a great hold on the mind of any group of people who have had to spend any time in the dark looking up at the sky. I don't know that as modern Americans we get that as much simply because of the fact that we have so many lights in our cities at night. But as a method of fortune telling, it is definitely a lot more complicated than tarot, which has a fantastically complicated methodology. Because you have to know what the different planets mean, what their positions mean, how they relate to each other from their positions. And so it becomes a very interesting method of math and knowledge and resources and culture in order to come to some sort of interpretation through that method of divine guidance. At that point, I'm starting to wonder if you might just not be better off flipping a coin. So those are some examples of the various forms of divination that I have heard about. And how much time have I done? Not very much. So do we have any questions? First of all, do we have any questions about the talk? And then do we have any questions we would like divined? Because I'm more than happy to give a demonstration if we want to try it. So first, questions about the talk.
2: No, oh, I was just going to suggest, uh, divination through the entrails of
0: seminarians. Divination through the entrails of seminarians. Not sortilage, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
1: Okay. Well, I'm wondering, you didn't include um, as a system, and I don't know why, but I'm just curious, you didn't include as a system of divination uh, discuss, discussing things with spirits.
0: I did not. Yes. And I because it is not... Uh, I'm sorry? You find that all over the Bible. Yes, and generally in the negative. It's generally yeah. verboten and yeah. forbidden. Oh, I see. Yes, and so I was talking more about sortilage versions that are easy to do. When you start dealing with spirits, you get into whole different realms of, of magic and um, mm-hmm. complication and separating the, the fortune teller from the, the source of information.
6: Okay. So, so
0: that would be more a speech on invocation or evocation would be more where I would put that rather than here.
1: So, but you do you do you do prayers before you do your tarot readings and your
0: other systems? You certainly can. Um, again, it's it's sort of a bookend thing. If you want to have that sort of thing done, then yes, you certainly should. You should do an invocation of, of divine guidance if I that's had what you're seeking. I've
1: tarot readings for a long time, uh, and then I found that just doing a quick quick prayer to the angel and suggested that comes with Chloe's Bach. Okay. It uh, was very useful. Okay. Like it, it that right up so Interesting. Really, at that point, I stopped seeing the difference between, you know, divination with cards and divination with angels. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
0: Well, I also didn't mention Ouija boards, and I didn't mention yeah. other forms of spiritualist... Um...
1: Well, I bring it up because um, the system default that I'm familiar with all the divination is through the spirits but at the same time the main system is
0: considered to be a form of uh, earth divination yeah interesting yeah. yeah see I don't know a lot about IFA and I don't yeah. know a lot about the I Ching both of which are both sortilage sorts that have uh, a, a prayerful wrapping around them mm. so it's mostly why I didn't bring them up I'm not real familiar with other cultures <laughs> I'm barely familiar with my own <laughs> Okay, Jenny, did you have something? Uh, I thought I saw a hand. um, Can you speak more to the narrative side of things like
5: tarot and even astrology? Are there other systems
2: that focus on
0: a narrative basis? Oh, yes, definitely. There is a great book called The Zalator, which talks about the way of the fool, and it traces the images of the... using the fool of the tarot deck and then the images of the source of the... the travels of the fool through the aspects of the sun in the major arcana until it returns to its source. And it's a very interesting book just for that. So that is a great narrative that talks about what you're talking about, I mean, it it talks about the tarot, and it talks about esoteric symbolism, and it talks about zodiacal connections, and it talks about elemental connections. It talks about ancient Celtic roots. It talks about modern Western Christian reinterpretations of ancient pagan thought and would be a great resource for that sort of thing. Um, I've read it. I don't understand it deeply Um, But you can definitely use the tarot in that way. The tarot can be a book of a journey that you can use. And you can take the major arcana and lay them out deliberately and then take the minor arcana and throw them around it and have have each card going sequentially and meditate on how that functions in your life and then have the randomness to it to kind of give you sort of a, a personalized view of that Archetype that you've put down deliberately. Uh, Karen, I'm going to go with you first. I would also um, recommend the book Meditations on the Tarot. Yes, that's a good book. Yeah. Uh, eight, is that 19th century?
6: Um, Who? 20th.
0: Is it early 20th? Okay. Yeah, written actually by uh, a Catholic priest. I don't know
6: if um, you're it was given to me
2: by a Catholic, oh. okay. but he was, he was a, a Catholic and a Martinist, and the introduction to the book was written by uh, uh, Cardinal Hans Urs von Balthasar, oh. writing, writing an intro to a book on the tarot. Nice. So it's uh, uh, quite interesting. And I was just going to add that there are some tarot decks. There's a parishioner back home who has a, a tarot deck. I think it's the Celtic uh, little man. Um, specifically, you know, you specifically map out cards, um, you know, on a map or on actually a story chart, which essentially places you in the grail legend kind of thing. So it specifically gives you the dimension by putting you in the story. Where would would you be? Where would certain figures or people be or equate to, like, figures of the legend, whether it's next of the round table or various other kind of stuff? And it's quite interesting. I haven't played with it at all, but uh, it looks pretty neat.
5: I hey,
0: I I've only heard in passing maybe once or twice that the tarot can mirror um, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's. Yep. Or, I just didn't know I had made that up. Or if that's, okay. That sounds very familiar to me, and it uh, talks about, again, the fool traveling through all these different places and things, and it mirro- can mirror the hero's journey because at the bottom you can tend to get involved with the death card and the the tower and the devil and all of that kind of stuff, and then you start working your way back up to the sun and the world and and all that kind of thing. So it, it can go in a nice big circle and give you a nice dip into the underworld and back out to follow the hero's journey. You can definitely see that in those cards in the major arcana, at least.
5: Um, can you can you speak to any anything regarding uh, bibliomancy uh, on the, the flipping through? Yes.
0: Um, You can definitely definitely do that. You can take your book and have it open to a random page and flip, but that is one of the more easily manipulative forms of divination because if it's a book that you really, really like, it's going to have pages that are worn. And if it's a book that's poorly made, it's going to have certain areas where it flips to. So as a, form of divin- as a form of inspiration, it could be really fun. I mean, because you just flip through it and find a page and put your finger down, and you're like, whoa, I'm going to meditate on this. But at the same time, as a form of divination, I don't know for sure. I know people use it. I don't know a lot about it.
5: I have actually found that the, the Philip exegesis, the, the big thick edition, mm-hmm. is an exception for, for the
0: event. And see, this could be a very good use for Carl Jung's uh, Red Book that we were talking about the other day. I mean, the Red Book has a lot of that kind of imagery in it as well that would be very good okay. to just flip open.
2: If you use a book that you hate, for example, if I ever do divination out of my work's employee manual, I know that well. no I know that's bullshit. <laughs> this too is bullshit. You know <laughs> that. This
0: reading is negative. I, I think your, your fortune-telling method would be very dour if you did that, <laughs> yes. Bray?
2: In that
0: case, in order to
2: overcome it, I'd suggest something like the chain where you're, you're right. casting, mm-hmm. you know, coins, and then you're interpreting the coins to get
0: a hexagram that leads you to it. Well, like right. yeah. or and you could also use a, a random number generator to find a page number or something along those lines. That could work as well, if you wanted to do an interesting kind of bibliomancy. You could do page number, sentence number, word number. Or something along those lines. To randomize it and get away, to it and get away from the book falling open. What do you
1: about
0: pendulum? pendulum is very, very interesting. Um, just about everybody I talk to who uses pendulum says it's a liar. Um, the well, that's
1: accuracy
0: of a sort. That is accuracy of a sort. Yes, you can always tell when it's not right. Um, I don't know a lot about it. Again, uh, I understand that you use a chart with it and then you hold it and it, it just swings, kind of. And it seems like something that you would use your subconscious to do the motions of your muscles and, and whatever.
3: that's pretty easy to do. I, know I worked with a pendulum for a, a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, initially, I was actually really good at being quite still with it. And it's just like you give it a direction. Like if you're going back and forth, it's this. If it goes this way, it's that. Mm-hmm. And you would tell it. You know what that would mean, and then you start. But then,
0: as soon as you're the slightest bit lazy,
3: it's really easy to just influence it. whatever way.
0: Yeah. And I just have to stay that still. And again, that kind of comes into the spiritualist with the um, the the plan. What do they call that? The platter. Plachette, yes, where you've got your fingers on it and you're moving it around and it's all unconscious muscle memory and questions and the other person could be influencing you and Lord only knows what's going on. So anything that involves the the body to me doesn't give you a true random number. Just like a computer, a computer won't give you a true random number. It'll get you pretty close. Yeah, well, it won't get you a true random, though. It'll get you a, you, your tremors still follow a vibration said that anything using the body doesn't give you a true reading, in a sense. Well, it doesn't give you a truly random reading. It doesn't give you a truly random reading, but it does, it
4: might, if, we're, if we're working with energy, mm-hmm. and you're working, especially if you're doing healing work with that kind of divination, you mm-hmm. kind of read where someone is at to do healing work, their energy field and your energy field connect through the pendulum. Right. And so, yeah, there, there's some subconscious stuff, but it's it's a, a guidebook, as a
0: direction. Okay. Um, again, it's not something that I'm all that familiar with. I'm more familiar with the sortilage methods, which supposedly There's have more randomness. Random thing, but, but I, good, I mean... The
2: entirety of divination is determined by the fact that it wouldn't be random at all. I mean, if well, yeah, if you're supposed to be
0: guided be random, by the divine. You know, and,
2: right, or mm-hmm. else
0: it has no mm-hmm. meaning.
2: You know? mm-hmm.
0: so, but you want it to be as least influenced by a human agent as you can and a pendulum to me would seem to be influenced by a human agent just by the simple fact that you're touching it and moving it deliberately rather than casting the stone if you took the crystals and you cast them and whatever was in and whatever was out and that kind of thing or bones or ifa or dice or whatever it's a different it's less subject to the manipulation of the operator now, whether you're you're made a very good point with the talking about the interaction between the fields, especially for finding an issue and a moment for the healing. And I think that might be a different purpose of gaining information than the sortilage method that I've been talking about. So I, I'm not saying that it's invalid or that it's bad, just simply that it's going to give you a different form of information. Yeah. Uh,
5: Monsignor. Mentioned the I Ching. I, I happen to really like the I Ching mm-hmm. because it is incredibly conservative. Mm-hmm. The advice it gives is typically slow down, reconsider, be, be cautious. Yeah. Um, because some of my concerns about divination, um, I, I like Dune, the book Dune. Yeah. I talk a lot about how prescience uh, locks you into the future that has been predicted. Right. Uh, and, and just the act of asking the question. Puts you into the into the current that is going to be that is going to reflect the answer. Yeah. And I, I wonder if there's uh, do you, do you think that it's it's ever reckless? Do you think you're ever endangering yourself to be consulting a divinatory tool, potentially opening yourself up to a bad result and uh, it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak?
0: Well. As a Gnostic, I do tend to feel that action from a place of ignorance is going to lead to a worse path than action through a place of knowledge. That said, the information I gain through a divination is not necessarily knowledge. It could very well be noise or random or nothing. So it's a very interesting question as to whether or not it's actually prescient or not or if it's just an answer in the moment that is what you need to hear or what you need to move on to your next thing or to break you out of your analysis paralysis or a lot of it depends on the spiritual level of which you're trying to answer your question um, and how far out you're looking to answer your question too. I mean, if you get an answer that this is going to lead to death well, you know, eventually everything leads to death. So Yes, this action that you're taking is going to lead to death. They all do. Um, The death of the physical body at any rate. But So I use divination very, very sparingly, and it's usually when I'm stuck, when I've tried everything else and there's nothing. I I keep finding myself coming back into a circle and a loop. So it's not a very frequent occurrence with me. It's just something that I'm very interested in.
4: Ben. Well, also, um, I think that's definitely a danger with, like, the simple kind of invitation you yes or no, and what you're left with Whereas, say you've got um, something like a full geomancy spread that tells you how you got there, or a tarot that tells you how you are getting there. And if, for example, there's one of the cards that say, oh, you've got a secret enemy, to take the more dramatic thing, well, it may not be a pleasant exercise, but you can now ask yourself if you really trust everybody that you really trust. Mm-hmm. That might give you what you actually need to get off the of. path. Okay. Constance.
6: Professional card readers that I know assure me that almost all the questions are about health, wealth, and love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to the point where they get more feeding for people. Right? Yep. And um, what I really appreciate are those lists of here are the sorts of questions that are horrible, don't ask them. <laughs> 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 we'll really give you good information anyway. And I was thinking of, um, uh, was it some card reading or shamanism, I don't know. But it says, here's a question, and it's like a question you wouldn't ask. Should I marry so and so? Yeah, sure, go ahead. If you do, you'll have these kind of experiences. It's like, oh my God, I don't want to have those experiences. Oh, well, don't marry them then. (laughs) (laughs) And the second thing I was thinking of and amusing myself was in Foucault's Pendulum, where they made their own uh, random generator thing on the computer and they just put in little snippets from fortune cookies or little things that say, Mickey loves Minnie, and we're using that. And I thought, oh, man, what kind of a thing could the people in this room put together for one of those? That
0: would be a kick. (laughs) And now, of course, to return to Lon Milo Duquette, he has a book called Everyday Oracles, where he talks about doing just exactly that. He does a form of bibliomancy where he takes um, sentences that Mark Twain said and was recorded as saying, and puts them in a six by six grid, and then rolls two dice. Ask question and rolls two dice. And he can have an entire conversation with Mark Twain. And it's snarky and and wonderful. So there's definitely lots of different ways to come up with um, divinatory practices. Um, I'm not quite sure whether that counts as necromancy. (laughs) That would be a very interesting question. I suppose it depends on the frame you wrap it in. Is it literature class or is it necromancy? (laughs) Why not both? Why not both? Let's do necromancy in literature class. Any volunteers? (laughs) (laughs) Any more questions? Yes, Lucas.
5: Have you happened to have noticed in the different types of divination that you've used uh, systems having personality? The I Ching again is a great example of something with a great deal of
0: personality. Yes, the uh, Mark Twain method of Lun actually has a great deal of personality. Uh, the I've used that one a couple of times and it's very very fun. Um, the <clears throat> Tarot definitely has a personality all its own and. I can't really describe how it works, but the different decks will definitely give you different sorts of answers and feeling just from their imagery. I mean, they'll the the as Ben was saying, having the system is the basis of it and makes it definitely very um, is is pretty uniform. the 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 method of fortune telling with tarot is uniform over the decks. But the decks themselves have very, very different personalities. I have the Thoth deck, I have the ceremonial magic deck, and I have a ferret tarot deck that I use at home. (laughs) And it has ferrets doing all sorts of terrible and different things. The tower is especially amusing because it's a feed bag, and the tarot are on the top of it, and the feed bag is falling over on them. Absolutely hilarious. And I find that if I'm asking questions of magical import, I really like the ceremonial tarot, and if I'm, trying, if I'm talking about learning and that sort of thing, that one's definitely the way to go. And if I'm talking about how my life is falling apart, the Thoth deck is great. <laughs> but if I'm talking about what mundane task I should be doing next or trying to figure that out or just doing a daily reading, the Pharaoh deck wins every time. It is amusing and lighthearted and absolutely wonderful and fun. And so if I know people that are coming to me want a reading and they're down, that's the one I use. Because it will usually come up with some sort of uplifting message. And sometimes aggressive. It's sometimes a very aggressive deck. (laughs) It's not like, well, just sit back and let the moment happen. It's like, no, go out and do this right now. these electrical wires. That's right. Chew the electrical wires. Jump down the couch. Let's see if we can crawl through the dryer vent. <sighs> well, you know. Sometimes you just gotta go through a place that's hot and filled with dust. <laughs>
2: I think you're divining from my employee
0: manual. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if we can crawl through the dry air vents. <sighs> Nothing else? All right, well thank you very much. You. I, I've appreciated being able to talk to you yet once again.